Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. This is episode 70, Monster Sound Show, where we'll be taking you back to an opening day attraction in the, at the Disney MGM Studios. And uh, I am your host, Todd McCarty, and sitting with me always this evening from Ohio, Mr. J.T. Couser. How are you doing tonight, J.T.? Good. It's a hot one. We're warm, huh? Yeah, it's been nice though. I dig enjoying the last few weeks of summer, and uh, this is this is. I just told you guys, this is one of my favorite early attractions at MGM Studios. I love this movie making biz stuff, so it's a lot of fun yeah. for me. There you go. Yeah, I know you 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 grew up and you really went down there in the age of MGM. So this is this is this is core MGM as it was in the beginning. So. All right, and also seeing you tonight, coming from the Sunshine City, Mr. Hal Bowers. How are you doing tonight, Hal? Aloha. I'm doing fine. Excellent, excellent. You, we had a little bit of tropical up this way. We had Henri come up. Yeah, we just kind of pushed that over to your yeah, eyes so you camera. can get a little taste of that. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get much here, but other areas got a lot of rain. And Brian, Mr. Brian P. Miles coming in from Philadelphia. You got a little rain, too, I believe. Greetings and salutations. We did, but it uh, it finally cleared up this evening, and I got uh, about an hour out by the pool to watch the sunset because the sky finally cleared after, like, eight days of clouds. So There you go. Giving you a little more summer here to go. Yep. So. Well, as always, we'd like to go back to last month with any comments and corrections. Yes, as always, I love a good celebrity story, and we've had uh, numerous from Tom Cruise, but no, nothing new in the hopper. But we did have a correction from Jim. He says, uh, Tom Cruise is everywhere back in the day. Tom starred in Days of Thunder with Nicole a few years before Far and Away. So we were set in, I believe, the last episode they met on Far and Away. Uh, they actually yeah, met- I, I got my uh, Us Weekly or People Magazine <laughs> card pulled because I, I got the order of films that they met on out of order. So my apologies, Jim. Brian, you're not watching enough PM Magazine, are you? You are. Uh, well, Entertainment Tonight, man. I was married. Oh, you're ET. Okay. I just, uh, the thing is, I never watched Days of Thunder. I'm not a, not a race car guy. so I don't think I've seen that one either. I'll tell yeah. you what. I'll give you it right now. Spoiler alert from 1989. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, Top Gun, but with cars. Oh. So he gets, and- he gets in a crash. He gets scared, just somebody like on die. Top Gun. Somebody, almost, almost, not, okay, yeah. And then he's he has to overcome. And then he he does. So. Is it like Talladega, Talladega Nights? <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, is it better than Talladega Nights? Or it's more serious. I mean, which I, isn't I hard to it. do, but it's it's also a very gritty version of NASCAR that isn't exactly accurate. So hmm. there you go. But they did meet on the set of Days of Thunder in 1989, and not far and away. So thanks, Jim, for the correction. And we're looking for more celebrity stories. We love hearing them. So send them our way. 
And how over to you? You've got a correction as well from uh, yes, from yes. I have I have a correction and some embellishment about our our adventure club stories from from an Ooh. anonymous source who, um, in two thousand three got to got to go into the club during the daytime, and got a little tour backstage, uh, an official tour. He said, uh, "Cast wardrobe." Is where Enzo's hideaway is now. So just as a little, that's, so that's that's where they kept the gorilla mask that you would put on. Yes, to walk between <laughs> scenes. I got. Uh huh. And so um, he he got to see the backside of the um, of the the sort of chest bureau that had the genie head in it, mm-hmm. and he describes it as as uh, from the backside. There's basically like a, a a large mirror with sort of a hole in the middle. And the actor would stick his head through the hole, and there was black drape that would cover um, behind the head, so that way you couldn't see any light that was coming through from behind. And then they, there was kind of like a little box um, with attachments for for handles, and you'd just kind of stand in the in a little pit, and then like move your head up and down and side to side, and it was weighed and balanced, so that way when you grabbed onto the handles, the whole the entirety of that mirror moved around sort of behind the scenes and since you were only seeing a mirrored image on the front side it's like you didn't notice that the entire apparatus was moving around so that's that's how that illusion worked that's cool excellent very cool all right jt over to you for this month's listener mail all right we got a good mailbag this month first one let's get right into it is from jeremy Jeremy says, hi, guys. First of all, I'm one of those binge listeners that caught up uh, about the last four or five years all at once. He says, after months of listening to you guys, every time I got in the car, I feel like you guys are family. That's very nice, Jeremy. Aww. Uh, you know, hey, I, there's an event coming up in April. Maybe you want to meet your family in person. <laughs> That's Just, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, family reunion. Uh, so it even says his 16-year-old daughter gets excited every month when the uh, intro music comes on for our podcast. That's super fun. Anyways, Jeremy got around to scanning some photos from 1975, I'm sorry, 75 photos from 1986, and he shared the link with us, and we'll put those in the show notes, lots of goodies on there from uh, the Epcot Fountain to all sorts of fun stuff, but uh, a lot of of good ones, so appreciate you listening, Jeremy, and we uh, really enjoy the photos here, and we'll put those in the show notes. Next one, this just came in today, this is from Andy. He says, hi guys, I have a fun and extraordinary niche Disney tidbit for you. Earlier this summer, he performed in a concert up in New Hampshire. He remembered that according to the tag, the Swan and Dolphin plush toys that Disney released a long time ago were manufactured in New Hampshire at Douglas Cuddle Toys. He looked at the address. It was right down the road from where he was staying. He drove by and took a picture. It's such a bizarre connection to make and have these rare plushes come from such a remote corner of the country. He said, anyways, he thought we'd get a kick out of it. So he sent us a photo of Douglas Cuddle Toys. And uh, how I liked your reply, he, he should have went inside, seen if there was any inside there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Knock on the door and demand. I want a <laughs> dolphin and a swan. <laughs> right. <laughs> now. <laughs> now. Stat. All right, we're moving into Tom Yoder here. Tom's uh, writing us about uh, part three of Pleasure Islands, and he says he just reached the point where Howe is describing the falling bar school stool gag, the Adventurer Clubs, which he'd never heard about before. He's experienced this gag, but an extremely spy-themed bar in Milwaukee. Uh, there's also one in Chicago. It's called the Safe House. Get it? Like, meet me at the uh, Safe House. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, it was the first time I've been anywhere and thought the detail and fun lived up to my expectation of Disney standard. More fun now knowing it shares the gag with Adventures Club. He highly recommends the spy safe house if uh, we're, we're ever free. So, In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was not aware of that. <laughs> I've never heard I forgot about that. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Thank you, Tom. We appreciate that. And uh, we will be sure to check out the safe house when we are in the area. What's interesting is I, I felt we got a, a number of these emails where people recall their time at like like themed bars and things like this. And then and it got me thinking, I, I don't know if Disney was necessarily the first, but this theme bar thing. I mean, there are random ones around me and there's a few out there. And you guys know how much I love a theme restaurant. Uh, Mitch wrote us, though. He says uh, he's listening to Pleasure Island Part 3, Adventures Club. He'd never been before. But he says it sounds a lot like Jekyll and Hyde in New York City. And then he said, uh, how brought it up in the episode? And, um, I mean, that was probably when I tuned out for a minute. I totally, uh, you know, missed that. Then I started reading. He says you enter via elevator and there's a bellhop and it's all themed. And it just sounds very fun and and kind of similar to the Adventurers Club. So, Yeah, it was, it was, I got to go there, as I said in the previous episode. And it was, it was a really cool bar. And and they had the food too, so you could. They kind of instead of just having you mill, milling about, there were tables, um, sort of on one side, and then you would um, from there you could view sort of like a large stageish area that like most of the stuff went on. I think at some point Frankenstein came out and the Wolfman. It had a lot of classic monsters in there, um, but still very adventurers clubby in feel. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Mitch, for writing in. Uh, guys, did you see the email that came from John Kunzer? Um, he actually went back to episode 64, our Crescent Lake podcast uh, episode there, and he says he happened upon an Antiques Roadshow episode featuring a clock. The appraiser specifically referred to the sculpture as dolphins. And, uh, you know, we've we've discussed why they look like fish and why they look like dolphins. Uh, take a look at the photo, guys. I posted it in our, in our channel there for, for this episode. Um, they surprisingly look just like the dolphins holding up, uh, at, holding up the, what are those giant drinking fountains? I don't know what you call oh, yeah, them. I the did punch see bowls. That. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got that weird, they almost look like a carp face and then like a weird body. It's yeah. A, a similar note, uh, my daughter who's now, what, what is she, you know, she's in first grade. She just kind of, we saw it and I go, well, she goes, what is that big building? this past month and i said oh that's the dolphin and she goes those aren't dolphins <laughs> well that's that's what it's called there you go very observant young child yeah. so um i just had a quick summer trip up to the biltmore hotel in uh north carolina outside mm-hmm. of Asheville, and they have several fountains there where the mouths where they have that same kind of mythical dolphin uh shape in the fountains really? and in fact the um spigots from the um uh what do you call the Things that are on the side of the house that the rain falls into the gutters, the gutters. gutters. Yes, yes, yes. So the spigots, the spigots from the gutters have that shape too, and the water comes out of their mouths. So very fancy. It must have been something about that time period that uh, they were enthralled with 
fish yeah. and dolphins. So cool. Yeah, I think there's I think there's a bunch of styles like that in some Italian fountains too. If there's like a Poseidon or something. I mean, let's face it. If if you just made it a realistic looking fish, <laughs> that would That's be true. terrible. <laughs> so you Wouldn't give work. it a little bit of a you know little artistic interpretation and it looks much cooler. That's right. Quick one here, but this one uh, I have a task for this uh, letter, this writer, this fan. Daryl Shoemaker. Daryl wrote us with some great footage from 1974. Uh, he has it on YouTube, but Daryl, we would love to restore this for you. So if you have the original footage, please get in touch with us. Either way, get in touch with us so we know if it's a yes or a no. Daryl's got some great shots of uh, uh, Fort Wilderness fishing there, and that, that sounds very boring, but it's super exciting. And one of the, my favorites there, he's got a shot from the water of the Fort Wilderness Railroad going over the trestle. Uh, very cool stuff. So, Daryl, reach out to us and uh, let us know if you have the, the actual film still, because we'd love to get that converted, give it the McCartney touch, the whole deal. So, All right, finally, we're going to wrap this up. Another Pleasure Island story from Robert. Robert uh, Robert C. I don't want to mispronounce your name, Robert. He says, just listen to the third part. He loves the whole series. He first experienced Pleasure Island as a 13-year-old and roller skated at Zephyr. So uh, so jealous he got to do that. That's awesome. I know that's. I mean, didn't that only last a little while? Right? It did. Yeah, like I think six or eight months. Very very brief. He says uh, then as a student at UCF from ninety seven to two thousand, he had an annual pass and attended quite often. Man, I feel like if you were UCF in that era, like even before that mid nineties, you, you probably just went. That was like your place to go if you were in college, right there. Oh right? my god, if, yeah. That would have been the best, you know, other than Church Street Station, that would have been the best bar in Orlando by far. Yeah. Um, And then, Brian, he mentions you. He says he thinks you hit the nail right on the head regarding the Adventures Club at the end. He says, when I attended as a student at UCF, our purpose for going was drinking and having a good time. So we were regulars at the Beach Club and band Panama, Mannequins, and BET. Thursday nights were crazy, especially at Mannequins. Saw quite a bit there. So, Rob, thank you for that. Uh, we would love to hear if there's any stories you have about roller skating at the Zephyr Club because, you know, it's it's little nuggets, I think. Like Hal said, it's it's didn't last long. And any little hint of a memory you have there, whether it was, you know, they stamped your hand, they only let you do 10 rotations, they went backwards. You remember, did you guys ever go to roller skating as a kid? Oh, yeah. Sure, yeah. You know, yeah, there was absolutely. like, you know, the guy would get on the, uh, the, the thing, the we're going to let this be couples only, couples yeah, only. We had right? a, we, we, Young's Regency Skating Rink and the United Skates of America in yeah, Northeast you know, Philly. Like, we went to all of them, yeah. Like, uh, hey, uh, speed skaters only. Yeah. Speed, speed only. Skaters only. <laughs> yeah, Zigzag. So, yeah. Like, did tandem, they do that? Yeah, yeah tandem. Uh, there's an, they do that in the uh, uh, the office, right? Daryl and Andy and who was the third one that went skating? I forget. There I feel like, yeah, you're right. Went. They went to Barnes & Noble to try to pick up girls at lunchtime. And then they went roller skating. That's, that's I remember that episode. Uh, I, I do want to say to Robert, uh, he was not alone in agreeing with my uh, premise of why I thought the Adventures Club didn't work in it in many of its years, uh, but certainly in its final years. Um, and so we heard from a lot of people on Twitter and Facebook and other places that they had a similar experience to mine where they found it more off-putting than like, hey, isn't this cool? For sure. 
Well, uh, Rob, thanks a lot. Let us know if you've got any Zephyr stories, tidbits, details. We'd love to hear it because it's such a rare... I don't know how many of you are out there that have skated at Zephyr. So uh, thank you for that. So if you'd like to get your message possibly on the show or a response from us, give us a shout-out, podcast at RetroWDW.com. Uh, we'll take all emails. We get private messages on all the socials. And uh, there's a good chance uh, anything you send us could end up on the show. But uh, we try to get to all of it. So thank you to everybody that sends something in. We definitely appreciate all the all the kind words and pictures and videos and everything. All right, gentlemen. Last month, uh, we actually had a giveaway. And uh, we had uh, what we can say retro WDW keyword was decade because I had the additional decade book that was just hanging around here. Or actually, I purchased it and didn't realize I had another copy hanging around. Uh, so we do have a random winner. And congratulations to Jennifer Paulino. We'll be getting the copy of the Disney Decade out to you which, and then you are going to feel obligated to buy the 15th anniversary book and you're going to feel obligated to buy the 20th and it will it probably will never end there and you'll have a giant bookcase in a few years of old Disney books so but congratulations Jennifer can't wait to get that out to you and enjoy All right, gentlemen, before we get to this month's topic, um, I don't know if our listeners have noticed, but tonight and for this episode, we're recording in stereo. Well, it's widescreen radio. That's right. Exactly. So why don't we give everybody a little how I'm going to move you. Hold on. I'm going to put. Can you can you slide to the left channel? For yeah, me? hang on. Here we go. I'm okay. Start moving over right now. Almost there. Almost there. And stop. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Now how's on the left? And uh, JT, could could you move to the right? And uh, Brian, why don't you go to the right as well? And I'll go to the left. All right, Brian, grab my hand. We're Long going to the right. right. All right. Now wait a second. This will be annoying because if I'm on the right and somebody's hard of hearing, they're only going to hear how. Or... We'll blend back together. We're going to come back to the center room in a moment. Okay, I'm just good. trying to demonstrate here as uh, how and I are on the left, right? How? Yes, of course and we are. Brian and JT, you guys are on the. We're on the right. Hello. Yeah, that's right. Hi. Exactly. So we want to demonstrate we are recording this in stereo, and that's going to come nine. <laughs> number nine, number nine, bonus points to everybody who knows what that is. So yeah, there's going to be a reason why we're recording this in stereo tonight, and it's going to go back. We're going to talk a little bit about Howe's head later on, the the head that he carried around. But uh, uh, before we get to that, we're going to start to dive into... Now behind me is the Monster Sound Show. It's basically about sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> So before we get into the monster sound show, gentlemen, I have in front of me the burn bomb from 1989. I wanted to read you the description of monster sound show. Are you ready, gentlemen? Guests will be brought up on stage to test their skills as film sound effects technicians with predictably funny results. The audience will enjoy during the film's playback. That's all we had, but very, very you know, tight and put together. Yes. Uh, but this was pre, this was written in 1988 pre-opening. Uh, and by the time we got to 1989, uh, I have that one in here as well. Uh, he had a much more, uh, 
extensive write-up of three paragraphs, which is going to perfect segue because that's what we're going to talk about, what the show was all about. I remember opening day, I think how we talked about your opening day, and I don't recall if you went into the Monster Soundtrack. I know you did Superstar because you were first ones there, right? Right. And I don't know if you you did. I, I'm. You know what? There was enough time that day to do everything. I, I think we just... I'm pretty sure we probably went to Superstars Television and then went right next door to Monster Sound Show. That seemed to be the trend, too, when you were there. Too. Right. You know what I mean? You, you just you'd go to one and then the other. It was just the thing to do. You now just knock them just out. People just stand in line out front for popcorn. <laughs> that's true. It's <laughs> always like a long line for popcorn out there. That's right. That's right. Um, so we are talking about opening day attraction. I remember going there in, uh, what was it, the following October so. Uh, but we are talking about the Monster Sound Show presented by Sony at the Sony uh, Sony Theater, which later on we're going to talk about how that name changed. Um, but uh, yeah, Sony was the sponsor of both Superstar Television and the Monster Sound Show. Uh, they were both opening day attractions on May 1st, 1989. And uh, the idea behind the Monster Sound Show, as you're going to find out, is uh, this was about showing the importance of sound in film and uh, cinema as well as television and how what you see on the screen or should I say what you hear from the screen uh, is not necessarily always what has been recorded by the actors and actresses so it's a it's a little bit different Um, so uh, you know guys I I think we have to bring up this topic as we've talked about before with video I mean here we are recording a podcast from four different locations microphones we're going to bring this thing all together but you could not have fathomed this 20 some years ago, uh, 30 years ago, geez, um, doing this. So just like superstar television was amazing from the editing and the green screen screen standpoint that we can now do from our phones. Nobody imagined that the, the heck you could, you know, the hell you would go through in terms of trying to edit audio. That was even harder to do and reel to reel and tape and takes, and you couldn't visually see anything. Now how you're a, I'll give you. I'll call you an audiophile. I mean, maybe you're not uh, up for crisp sound, but you you are our audio expert here. So sure. I'd love to hear your take a little bit on how this was a mystery back then of how you got sound and effects into a movie or production. Oh, absolutely. And this this was before, or maybe right as some of the behind the scenes type shows were starting to to come on. To um, I'm trying to remember what channel those ran on. A Discovery, I think. Um, so yeah, how how this happened was I. I think probably largely unknown. Um, mm-hmm. The industry was starting to shift at that point from uh, analog recording to digital recording. So there was a lot of new technology that was coming into play. Um, for those of you who, who do not remember or, or are interested in, get, in getting into it now, um, when sound was originally first recorded, you know, we, of course, way back, you know, Edison started with the wax cylinder yep. <laughs> and then we moved on to records and things like that. But kind of the, the de facto standard for recording audio during the, the, probably the 1930s through the, um, through the 1980s, um, was by tape. Um, generally it was, uh, it was magnetic tape. You could have, uh, multiple tracks depending on what your machine was anywhere from, you know, two was kind of one was kind of the standard and then by the late 60s it moved up to two tracks and then um by the 70s they moved into eight and then it went to 16 and then 24 and uh, a big recording studio you know would have a 24 track analog tape machine i think it was recorded on something like two inch tape 
So if we um, wanted to do this podcast right now, we'd all have to be recording on our own track. <laughs> right. In, a, in the same room or recording in separate rooms on the telephone on all single track that would then have to be somehow blended together on a multi-track tape. Right. And, you know, doing the remote stuff like we're doing now, you know, I think the first time they started broaching that was in the 2000s. You could get an ISDN line, which was, <laughs> you know, quote unquote, super high speed at that point. Well, maybe what we'll do next month, how is we'll all send we'll send cassette players to you, all of us. Sure. We'll get on the phone, just talk on the analog phone, and we'll record. Tw- you know, we can hear each other, and then we can record into our our actual. Mine will be TDKs. Tape. Oh, are you going with the clear ones, ones with yeah, the yellow spindles? Quality. I'm going. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with. Um, or Memorex. Memorex. Is it live? Or is, is it, it live? Yeah, exactly. With the guy sitting in the chair with his hair blown back. Yeah. yeah. That an amplified human voice could shatter a glass is remarkable. That a cassette recording of that voice can shatter a glass is amazing. But after 1,000 plays, can the same cassette still shatter a glass? It can if it's totally new Memorex. Now even after 1,000 plays, reproduction so true, we ask, is it live or is it Memorex? There are generations of listeners at home right now saying, what are these guys talking about? Right, reel-to-reel. Let's talk about that one, too, right? And most of them were reel-to-reel, right? How At that point, before, there really weren't audio cassettes in the industry until later on. It was was reel-to-reel. Yeah, you wouldn't have been able to record at the fidelity um, that you needed to. There were certainly some portable field recorders that used, uh, I think, a quarter-inch tape. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, like when, and actually this reminds me, the, the, I think the first time I ever actually saw somebody making sound effects for a movie was the um, the making of Star Wars special yes. that ran. You're, you're going to talk about the guy with the wrench on the on the wire, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that was mind blowing yes. as, a, as so a kid. We have, uh, I grew up, no, no shock to anybody, I grew up behind power lines. When we moved out here, there were power lines run. run Did you grow up a, under power lines as a kid? A, about a quarter, about Explains a quarter a mile lot, from, my, it? from my house. And we used to play in the field under the power lines all the time. And they have those uh, tension cables. And absolutely, if you like bang on them, they make yep. the Star Wars blaster sound. <laughs> he actually, uh, this is the fact. I had this ready to go. The guy who is the sound designer, he founded backpacking uh, in the Pocono Mountains in 1976. He hit the guy wire on an AM radio transmitter tower with a hammer, and that made the sound. Wow. I biked under one once, and I had a little, like a a weld mark that the paint had come off, and my finger was next next to it. And every time I biked underneath it, a spark would jump from the weld spot to my finger. It was really, really hot. But anyway, we're not getting into, we're not doing like Tesla experiments. Did, it, did so it make a sound effect? Or? It's not, I don't know. Maybe a little pop. It's just a little pop. <laughs> emperor over here. Force <laughs> lightning at people. <laughs> you, you were talking about analog and then we went to digital. But then we was, went to digital. But it was still on tape. It was digital tape. It was. And, and as we moved into the 90s, you did start to see... You know, the beginnings of using DAWs, digital audio workstations, where instead of doing your work on tape, you could do your work on a computer and start to put that stuff together. And and some of that work started off 
on a synthesizer called the Sinclair, which I think came out in the late 1980s, where you mm. you could uh, you know record things to the Sinclair and actually see a waveform and start to make your edits there to either shape a sound or put something together. But you had to have you know you were in a very expensive studio if you're doing anything like that. You know, right. for the home for the home person, you know, if you had a Macintosh uh, in probably like 88 or so it's like you could start editing stuff together and sound edit this way um and kind of the nice thing about that time uh is um you know sound even though it uses kind of a limited amount of data compared to video like the data needed for video is insane mm-hmm. uh in you know 1987 1988 uh time frame but um you know i was out recording um sound stations and out recording stuff in the parks you know in the early 90s using a mini disc player and a dat recorder and i was getting you know 44.1 kilohertz you know cd quality sound Mm -hmm. you get a good microphone it's like we were actually able to you know as a home enthusiast be it to be able to record stuff that still sounds phenomenal today like you know we we go back and we watch videos that we shot from that time and it looks like crap but everything (laughs) i recorded in audio still sounds just as good today as it did back then yeah um so there there were a lot of technical breakthroughs going on on the sound side of things um is very exciting it's yeah <laughs> super not, exciting time to be there we're not going to get into debate versus the warm sounds of analog versus the cool harsh sounds of digital that's another topic and another podcast so. yeah absolutely all right well we're gonna with that little bit of of history we're going to rewind a little bit back to 1934 and this is when a gentleman by the name of jimmy mcdonald uh landed his job with disney and he became the sound effects master for disney and and other companies as well uh working on projects like dumbo rescuers peter pan sleeping beauty and he developed all sorts of sound effects that uh, were used from you know maybe dumbo blowing his trunk or 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 crackling fire or somebody walking the one we're going to talk about is the 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 dwarves walking across the the floor in, in in uh in snow white um in 1992, there was a nice set of called uh, Cartoon Tracks, Volume 1, re- re- uh, released from the Hollywood Edge. I found it, and um, let's take a listen to a couple of his uh, fun sound effects that he created here. So that gives you a little idea of what uh, Jimmy was up to. And and he made this, he did all this stuff from just household materials. That's the really cool thing. There was nothing special in the time frame here. Like, I think one of the famous ones, I don't know if he did it, uh, but one of the famous sound effects that's out there from, from punching somebody is, is they're cracking celery. So it sounds mm. like a bones Bone and crunching. Yeah. Yeah. So they use celery for that. So. I, um, I recently saw an old interview with him, and it's interesting. He, he said a lot of the sound effects guys started out, they were all drummers because oh, really? they understood rhythm and timing, but they also had a bunch of 
you know, stuff in their percussion kits. Yeah. Like slide whistles and things that got used in the early cartoons. So the studios, especially Disney at that time, actually did not have a sound effects department. So they would just hire people, you know, one off to come in and do sound effects for the cartoons. And that's how he ended up getting hired. This is a shout out to our drummer friend, Mike McGee, right? From Delta Ray. He's got that, uh, what does he call it? He has it the, the junk kit, right? Oh it's yeah, awesome. that thing is amazing. It's amazing. He's got all sorts of things on his drum and chains and also and make can make a lot of sound. So all right. So um by 1947, uh, Walt was very busy with a lot of different things. There's some people say that his voice was getting hoarse from smoking. I don't know if we believe that or not. But anyway, at that point, McDonald took over doing the voice of Mickey Mouse. And he did that until 1976. Um, he retired, uh, but he was constantly being consulted. He leaned in, provided voices to uh, Disney for a variety of films over subsequent years. And uh, the really interesting thing is that I couldn't find any anything where his work was actually credited almost everything listed for him is just that yeah he did it but he was completely uncredited in the titles oh really yeah which is just that just shows you like you know he was just so far behind the scenes of making a little crackling sound right that, uh, it just never it never made it into it, so, so i i believe he did both gus and jacques in cinderella mm-hmm. uh i'm gonna have to sit here and oh and uh trying to think of the other vocal performances oh his first vocal performance was as um gosh it it was a uh, i'm trying to remember now I can't, I can't remember the character it was something but they like blew air into his mouth and then he formed the words <laughs> as as uh and and so it made the sound effect of like something oh i remember it was in this mickey short and there's a, uh, it might have been clock cleaners, and um, there's a part where there's a spring that attacks Donald Duck, and Donald Duck starts talking to the spring, and then the spring starts talking back to him. And so he had this little mechanism with a spring, and then it would funnel the, the air into his mouth, and then he would form the words with his mouth but not talk and then let the air come out and they gotcha. would record that kind of how, how like that talk box works yeah. on the, uh, the Peter Frampton <laughs> right, right. Uh, recording, <laughs> wow, 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 wow. That's right. which is actually, it is this tube with air in it that like blows the air into your mouth. <laughs> Didn't Aerosmith like, use that too? And was it sweet? They did, yeah. They that? Yeah. They used that sweet yeah, emotion. That was so. a, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also was the voice of Chip for a while, too, Chip and Dale, ah. so, which is interesting. So uh, how you did some digging, because why are we talking about Jimmy? We, well, Jimmy was a big part of the pre-show. And my understanding, how from the research you did, was that uh, those working on the, the Monster Sound Show wanted Jimmy to do it, didn't know what the format was and or how he would interact with them and talk about sound, because how do you, how do you do that? And uh, I, I apparently the David Letterman show called up Jimmy and said, hey, would you come on the show? And Disney said, hey, just go do it. It will give him some good practice. Right. Um, and from what you found, how was that they came back and they watched the clip and like, that's it. 
we we the, got our pre-show. They did everything they needed to do right there. Yeah, and it really told the story of sound. So now what's really interesting, we're going to talk a little bit about the pre-show. We've got some great clips from it. Um, and uh, so let's talk about the pre-show area before we talk about the actual film. Um, you were in an outdoor queue at this point, kind of like, snake. Do, do you like being hot waiting for this? Yes, exactly. <laughs> because this is the perfect queue for you. And what else do you have, gentlemen? Not only do you have that, you have the fear of that 20-inch monitor falling down on you that is suspended <laughs> with safety chains, right? Because there are monitors galore. This was Yes, peak Sony ones, ones, right? So Absolutely. This was peak... Um, uh, Q uh, CRTs, right? I mean, you had them almost everything in this. The entire, actually, I can't think of anything that didn't have TVs overhead, other other than Indiana Jones, right? You had them in Superstar, you had them here, you had them in the Backlot Studio, you had them yep. in the Walking Tour, you had them with Pee Wee Herman, you had them with Mel Gibson, yeah, every, everywhere. They're, I mean, you couldn't go anywhere. So this was peak CRT, I guess we could say. Um, <laughs> so we we. We start up the the clip here, which is uh, David Letterman. So what they did, this is really interesting. Um, first of all, the Jimmy McDonald segment was aired officially on August 10th, 1988. That segment, part of the episode, I had to laugh at this, guys. Connie Chung, Abe Vigoda, and who else? His very first appearance on late night television with David Letterman, Tom Cruise. So he comes around again. Wow. So Jimmy wow. McDonald came after Tom Cruise. In fact, Letterman has to shoo him move along a little bit because I think Tom Cruise was a little little too winded. So um so anyway, uh, the the way that they did this was really interesting is that because that was a television show that aired a year prior, they needed a way to start the pre-show and end the pre-show. So I was looking carefully at it and they went back to Letterman and they got him in the same suit and the same tie and the same <laughs> shirt as when he interviewed Jimmy so that they could tie it seamlessly together and turn it into something, which was really, really interesting. So uh, let's let's listen a little bit here as Mickey Mouse introduced Dave Letterman. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Dave Letterman. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it just occurs to me that I'm a middle-aged college graduate and I have now thanked a cartoon mouse. <laughs> All right, so Dave goes into this whole thing about how sound is really important. And uh, Brian, what was one of the most famous things that Letterman did when he had his pencil? What would he do? We threw them up in the ceiling. Oh, in his office, he threw them into the ceiling, into the, into right. the drop ceiling. But, but he would always throw them behind him. He'd sit there and drum uh, and on his coffee mug, right? He, he would do that, but Brian's got it. He would chuck him behind him into, uh, and behind him was always a city, and there was always a, a, like a, a faux window there, and we would hear this. All right, so gentlemen, here's here's what happens. What David Letterman uh, shtick would not be complete without a top 10 list, right? So if you're not familiar with David Letterman, he was on The Late Show with David Letterman, The Tonight Show, uh, not The Tonight Show, the, what was it called, The... Uh, there was the Late Show, Late Night with David Letterman. One was aired on NBC. Then he went to CBS, and then he went. Then the name changed or something like that. But Brian, you and I were—I was huge fans. I think you were too. Like Letterman yes. was where I tuned in. It was fantastic. <clears throat> Love David Letterman. After Carson, it was—it was late. It was late. 
All right, so here we are, the top 10 good things about sound. You either haven't heard this or how you probably haven't heard this in 30 years, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, number 10. It's entertaining to hear sweaty fat guy getting up from a beanbag chair. Number nine, allows you to use a car horn to pick up your prom date. Number eight, adds fun to knuckle cracking. Number seven, Brian, this one's for you because it's food related. Sizzler steakhouses would simply be called steakhouses. <laughs> enhances, oh, number six, enhances effect when I scream at employees at the top of my lungs. I'm disappointed in myself that I didn't say Sizzler. Oh, which was part of the commercials there. It was. That's right. Sizzler. Number five, adds fun to throwing a sack of marbles into a spin dryer. Number four, if, like reptiles, we had to sort of sense vibrations in the earth, many more of us would get flattened trying to cross, cross the interstate. Number three, snap, crackle, and pop would otherwise be on the elf equivalent of welfare. <laughs> number two, prevents me from becoming a singer. The number one good thing about sound is... It adds fun to the job Jimmy McDonald has been doing for 53 years. So I watched that, and I used to be a big fan of David Letterman. I was like, this one fell flat. <laughs> Other than the sizzler and maybe throwing marbles into a spin dryer. I, I, you know, I even thought that the people getting flattened trying to cross the interstate was a little non-Disney-esque, but as we're going to hear in a second... Dave went a little bit off script uh, towards the end of this, too, um, when he's interviewing um, uh, Jimmy. And I'm really surprised they actually let that in. But we'll we'll get to that in a second. So do you guys remember that part? I do. Very much so. Yeah. So, again, they didn't they didn't really delete too much. In fact, I found the, uh, the original broadcast of Jimmy McDonald on Letterman. And I found the – and we do. Thank you very much to Mark Marcusi. Uh, we have the entire pre-show. He stood there with the camera, probably weighed about 10 pounds, you know, shooting upward at, at one of the CRT screens. So we've got that full thing. So, and, and how actually I do have to make a correction from, uh, from our magic journeys episode. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to do this to you, but I have to take away your credit for filming, uh, magic journeys on a tripod. It was actually Mark at Mark. Oh, fantastic. As well. All right. So it wasn't you, but I, I had to make that correction and good. This is the, the best part to do it best time to do so good well then you can give him for not you know recording it with the two eyeballs exactly yeah it's not your problem anymore yeah (laughs) (laughs) how you were uh you remember a very specific quote that letterman blurted out towards the end of this right and uh, it was kind of funny and off i would say off the center line from disney so uh yeah i mean the interesting thing at the time you know letterman was you know the 80s was a very straight-laced time for the most part you know yeah you know the society was very conservative you know that was i think part of the joke in back to the future was like how much the 1980s was really like the 1950s in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and and letterman kind of played the role of the iconoclast during that time you know yeah. his, sarc- his his sarcasm you know his attitude was really quite the opposite of what was you know acceptable during that time so um I think part of the reason why that pre-show, his top 10 list wasn't very funny, it was because I, I assume they really watered him down <laughs> exactly. to be palpable for the general yeah. audience that would be at Disney MGM. Well, right. To be fair, he did thousands of top 10 lists on his nightly show, Absolutely. and there were a lot of duds in there. That's true. That's <laughs> there true. were. And I would not be surprised if his writers didn't write that, but the Disney writers wrote that. Yep. So... 
probably that's also a big difference. So here's a couple little clips from uh, him him, him uh, talking and interviewing Jimmy McDonald. We'll put the we'll put the full opening uh, pre-show on, online as well. So, so they were sneaking in, and I used this wallet. That's, those are the dwarves walking across the floor. Right, and yeah. it's a good, you know, it's an empty wallet. I had no trouble getting okay. these. All right. We have a, a bird whistle at the studio. I made a lot of them for big birds mm-hmm. and little birds. You, you designed the whistle yourself? No, this is a regular drummer strap, but I built lots of them for baritone mm-hmm. birds. All right. This is... There's water in there, and that gives you the, uh, the yeah. flutter. How many different kinds of birds can you do with that? Well, just as many as you want. They all sound alike. <laughs> <laughs> This was something I created for bugs and bees and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It wound up working for Evan Rude and, mm-hmm. the, and the rescuers. <laughs> this is for something else. Mm-hmm. This is, I'll have to blow something this up. Something for back at the hotel time. later, maybe. <laughs> I'll try it with you. <laughs> uh, okay, now if you want to do it very close and don't you want to lose, you might get a sliver in your finger. Okay, thank you. Now what am I doing? I do this here? That's right up close. These are guys creeping through the woods. No, this will be a fire. Oh, fire. A fire that they have in Bambi. Oh, the terrible fire in Bambi. Oh, I don't want to do this one. <laughs> well, it was for Charlie. I know, but it just was horrible. And then this is, this is the wind that was blowing. Oh, so if you get that real close. And I'll get this, this is the man. one that killed Bambi's mother, isn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. I hope you're proud of yourself. <laughs> the wind, the wind, oh my God, is blowing the fire out. <laughs> uh, so now, ladies and gentlemen, if you would kindly push and shove your way onto the next stop, it's called the Monster Sound Show. And I understand they have a lot of Foley effects and... After all, isn't that why you drove to Florida? Uh, but remember, if you bust anything, a security guards in mouse suits will beat you senseless. Thank you. Enjoy your business. All right, and there it is, Hal. If you break anything, security guards in mouse suits will beat you senseless. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually, well, that was, funny. that was actually, it wasn't part of him introducing Jimmy. It was at the end. He's like, you know, that's it. You're going yeah. in. Let's go into the theater. We're going to beat you. And they left it in and they were cool with it. But that... It got a big laugh. It got it got a huge laugh and, and it got your attention all of a sudden because what do you do? You're going into the theater. So... But that was kind of the Disney thing, right? The... the, the what? Self... Um, what's it called? Help me out here. Self-effacing? So, well, yeah. No. I mean, you're making fun of yourself. You're... you're, you're yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and that be kind, you know. Obviously, a few years later with the Tiki Room and and a variety of other attractions that uh, even in Aladdin, was you know, Iago starts singing "It's a Small World" and Jafar's like, "No, right. anything but that," you know. Right. It, it, it was this whole kind of edgy late '80s, early '90s thing where yeah. it became hip to mock themselves that could that could have been the first step with the second one being in the pre-show for the muppets when rizzo does the like what do they know they're tourists yeah Yeah. i mean there's just that that really was kind of the vibe as they were shedding the the you know where the jiminy cricket sleeping beauty cinderella uh studio and you know, we're we're hip and with the times, we're cool right. cats. That's it, true, and you know that probably from there to Touchstone, it's like that whole that shift 
in tone from their movies, like bringing in touchstone pictures and Hollywood pictures to do things other than G-rated family fare. Self-deprecating was the word I was there. Looking we go. For, there by we the go. way, I couldn't there think of it. At the time. That's <laughs> I felt, what I was looking for. I felt like too that it was a we we knew how to go to a theme park. We knew what was expected. So when they threw those jokes out there, it was like, aha, I get that because I've been here before. I you know yep. it wasn't the first time the Magic Kingdom opened. It was you know they were on their third park now, so people kind of knew what to expect. So they could throw those jokes out there. And don't forget too, this was just Letterman was just one of the many celebrities that were up in those CRTs and up in those television screens. I mean, so many of it, that, that again, this goes back, this is the core heart of MGM. So, Before we let David Letterman go away, I have a speculation. Okay. And that speculation is that his involvement uh, setting this up with the Monster Sound Show actually led to Disney striking a deal with his production company, Worldwide Pants. That's right, yeah. Um, because it was announced shortly after this that um, you know Disney was trying to acquire, you know, get people to work with them and do different things, and they struck, I think, like a ten picture deal or something with them, of which nothing was ever produced. Really, but that was, yeah. his, but that's his company. I, I mean, it, the timing seems right, and, and why not? You know, you're, yeah. you're in talks with it. Hey, while we're here, let's let's and, nothing like a lucrative development deal that produces nothing. Uh, nothing. Here, let's give you a pile of money, and you never do anything for it. Well, like Magic now, Underground. Yeah. <laughs> now I don't know if this has anything to do with his cameo appearance in Cabin Boy, mm-hmm. uh, which was a Touchstone production. Mm. Uh, maybe. Not sure. But. Somehow I have a feeling that there's there's an interconnection here. That's perhaps how the introduction was made that got uh, made that deal come together. And th- th- this was '89, right? Isn't yes. That what the year, yeah, because I mean his his agent was Ovitz, and Ovitz and Eisner were close. You know, Ovitz is the one that engineered his move to CBS. And... Right. All right. Well, Letterman is getting us into the theater. This I found really interesting. That the turnover with the show took about fifteen minutes. So you do the math on the turnover. This it only sat two hundred and seventy people. So the turnover on this was maybe a thousand per hour if you could get squeak four shows. Some things I read said that it took twenty minutes. So this wasn't. It, towards its end, it wasn't hugely popular, but uh, it was in the beginning. But it just really didn't suck the crowds. Um, Superstar that was a lot bigger. How I think that took seven hundred maybe at a time a swath. Okay, it, right somewhere in there, and yeah. it got, had like two hundred. It was a it was a very very small theater. So um, I'll have to check. Maybe maybe it's a little less than seven hundred. Probably at least double. But um, all right, so we go inside the theater. Um, I forget how many rows there was, but on the right side is a sound booth with the audio engineer. And uh, today, uh, we, we do have an audio engineer tonight, uh, guys. Uh, his name is Dave. So say hi to Dave. Hi, hi Dave. Dave. Hi, Dave. All right, there we go. Good. Uh, and he had enough equipment. He's got enough equipment by him tonight, too, to edit an entire motion picture, let alone we're only doing a five-minute film with, like, 30 sound effects. But, uh, um, you know, he's he's in the studio for us. Does he have a Are dog? You oh, the there's dog a sound effect now. Yes. <laughs> That's actually perfect, right? That's Dave is playing the sound of dogs in the background here. So, um, and his job is uh, to be in the studio to, to record that. 
Uh, and the stage right in the center is a uh, big white movie screen, not widescreen kids. This is four by three, which is basically a rectangle, very narrow rectangle, square, if you will. Uh, and it's flanked by four different stations where. Oh, I think you want to call that academy format, Todd. Let's be. Academy format. Let's be. Right. We're going to be perfect. <laughs> NTSC, <laughs> four by three. Um, and we got four stations where the sound effects are going to be made that we're going to be doing here. So I want to talk a little bit about how that comes into play. However, our host first has to tell us about where we are. And he wants us all to say Monster Sound Show on the count of three. All right, guys. So I want to make sure we get this right. And uh, Dave, you make sure you get this on tape. All right. On the count of three, gentlemen, I want to say on my cue, Monster Sound Show. Okay. One. Okay. Two, three. Monster, Monster Sound Show. <laughs> you got that, Dave? Sure did. Would you like to hear it? I sure would. We're here to talk about the Monster, Monster Sound Show. All right, good. So we've got that laid. We got our first track laid here for the for the show. Uh, now we need some volunteers. Now, uh, all four of us are going to be volunteers tonight. We unfortunately can't replicate this completely, but we're all going to have pseudo jobs to do. But what I couldn't find how, and I can't remember how the uh, volunteers were picked. I saw one video online where they actually plucked them out of the audience after they were already in. Another one seemed to have, you know, just kind of plucked people out as they were filing into the... Do you remember any part of that? I'm trying to remember. I want to say either either that first day or on a subsequent day... I believe they picked Hoot Gibson out of the audience to do one of the things. Okay. And I think I think they pulled him I don't think they they pre-screened and pulled someone out before the show started out in the um out in the queue like they did with Superstar Television. I think they just kind of grabbed people out of the theater. Okay. Um as as you were in there. Cuz there really wasn't much prep beyond what they told you on stage anyway. No, which right. which as you will get to do, I'm sure. Yes. Is, is part of the is reason. Is part of the thing, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right. So we are going to pick four people. Uh, the four of us will be our Foley artists for tonight. Uh, why Foley? And I just want to let you know, it is no relation to uh, Matt Foley. And uh, Jack Foley did not live in a van down by the river. Okay. We're so, Axel just, Foley. Yeah, or Axel Foley. <laughs> exactly. Just wanted to get that straight. My name is Matt Foley. And I am a motivational speaker. Uh, so Jack Foley, uh, born in 1891, uh, passed away in 1967, was the developer of a lot of different sound effects that were used in filmmaking. Um, and he developed all these different methods, uh, performing them live um, in a synchronous way with the picture during post-production. So he'd watch it and, you know, make people, every punch would be that celery crack or the crackling fire or something. Um, so as a nod to him, everybody, uh, who performs, uh, sound effects are called Foley artists, uh, and where you perform your, your artistry, if you will, uh, is on the Foley stage and you have Foley devices. So everything has this Foley thing. And, uh, he worked for Universal as well, gentlemen. So right down the, maybe he would have been right down the road if, uh, if he was, if he was around. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, let's talk a little bit about what's going to happen here. We've got these four uh, volunteers. Now, all four of us are now standing at these four sound effects stations. We still don't know what we're going to be doing, right? We have no clue. So uh, the, the, the MC up there says that uh, 
we produced a short four minute film starring none other than who would you get to do a sh- late 80s here who would you get to do a short patrick swayze uh well, we didn't use him again star studded I, I know the answer so I'm go like for it a Brian. short a short hmm. a short yes it's a four martin minute short film martin short i must say <laughs> and chevy chase so i mean wow what a what, i mean again mgm was star packed right that's two of the three amigos that's right when did the three amigos come out when was that 1987 okay so what it was after okay all right I just watched it this weekend so it was 86 it's, or a, it's a funny film december 12th 1986 there we go. Thank you. Right there. Okay. Thank you, the dynamite. Thank you, because I was trying to figure out why they would put those two guys together, and I couldn't. Like, for the life of me, I'd, I I still haven't seen Three Amigos, so like I didn't make the connection. So I, I just I read Martin Short's book last week. His book called "I Must Say," which is what he's his catchphrase when he was Ed Grimley he was obsessed with Pat Sajak mm-hmm. and the Wheel of Fortune, um, and he talks about being cast in that in that film and him and Chevy being friends and Steve Martin's one of his best friends so but absolutely worth your time it was a mainstay of cable in the 80s oh yeah and uh i i crack up every time they shoot the the invisible swordsman amy it's one of amy's favorite movies and uh Brian she's seen it a plethora of times so i've seen it a plethora too <laughs> exactly i was you wondering he's I've laughing seen it a plethora of times Yes. <laughs> you have a plethora. Jefe, what is a plethora? Why, guapo? Well, you told me I have a plethora. And I just would like to know if you know what a plethora is. I would not like to think that a person would tell someone he has a plethora and find out that that person has no idea what it means to have a plethora. See, I, I think what I saw right before this was him in inner space, which was delightful. Oh. So inner inner space was right after, was right after this one. Oh, okay, and terrific, a terrific film, a very under, both very underrated. Yes. So what we're saying here is that you should go watch this if you haven't. After we talk about this, and if you liked Body Wars at Epcot, go see Inner Space. Inner because, Space is great. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, there, great film. there probably would not have been Body Wars had Inner Space not. Yes. It, it, inner Space took the Fantastic Voyage concept and turned it into a, into a comedy. Uh, it is brilliant. And I think that popularity made uh, Body Wars happen. I didn't know John Landis directed uh, Three Amigos. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the book covers, there's there's like a whole chapter on Three Amigos, and it's fascinating. I mean, it, it really is fascinating to listen to the stories of the production. Because it was supposed to be like, it was originally like four, it was four different casts. It was originally John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and... You know, then it became a second set. John Candy was too fat to fit on the horses. So he suggested Martin Short replace him in the cast. And that's how Martin Short got the job. And it and really is. was falling from the sky. Yeah. Now, yes. tonight, gentlemen, right before we came, I was watching a little TV. Martin Short and, uh, and Steve Martin are in a new show called Only Murders in the Building. So, uh, so we can huh. get all three amigos together. You watch this. You watch Three Amigos, you watch Inner Space, you watch that. You got kind of the whole thing. But anyway, let's talk about this four-minute short. <laughs> I'm going to describe the movie here because I'm not going to describe it three times to save you guys because you, we just can't do this, right? This is something you have to see to, to, to understand. But I'm going to describe the movie real quickly here. It took four minutes. It's probably going to take me about four minutes to describe. But you need to know the film because you have to think about this in the sense that in a moment, 
we're going to try to put the sound effects into the film, right? So you got to think how complicated this film is. So I don't know if this is a mansion or it's a hotel. Is it stormy old spooky night. house? Old yeah. spooky house. Just playing or music is playing, and a man, as we find out, his name is Mister Lucky, which is Chevy Chase. He's carrying an umbrella and he's uh, whistling zippity doo dah, and um, he almost trips and then says whoops. Uh, he knocks on a door that says solicitors welcome. Uh, and we cut inside where Simon, or in this case, it's Martin Short, he's reading the book Death of a Salesman. So you can obviously see where this is going, right? Um, and then they show different salesmen around the room who have unfortunately passed away through a brush through his head. One's, I think, got a book squashed his head together. Yeah. Um, and, and he, he kind of walks like Igor from Young Frankenstein. And, you know, he's going to answer the door and looks at the peephole and he gets really excited that there's a salesman so he can kill another one. So um, he pulls on this rope to open a door and uh, and then Mr. Lucky, Chevy Chase, walks in and says, hello, anybody home? Uh, and then he accidentally, with his umbrella, puts it down, he puts it on Simon's foot and um, he lets go of the rope and the chandelier comes crashing to the ground that was supposed to fall onto, uh, onto Mr. Lucky. So he announces that he's with Lucky Life Insurance, um, goes through some bats enters the library says it's a nice place there's a statue of a dog on a fireplace taps it on the head and he says hi pooch uh it he barks uh, it barks it knocks off the mantle and then a foghorn goes off and the secret passes and the bookshelf revolves around and reveals, reveals simon holding a bomb and a lighter now we're just about halfway through the movie a little more think about all the sound effects you got to put into this there's revolving doors there's bombs there's things you know um, so Simon burns his hand and doesn't realize that a, a candle has ignited the fuse on his bomb. So Mr. Lucky pulls a rope, activates the foghorn sound again, and causes the bookshelf with Simon again to rotate around. And then the famous goofy yell <laughs> is heard as he disappears with the lit bomb uh, as the bookshelf rotates. Then to end the here, we have Mr. Lucky turns around and doesn't realize what happens. Still calling out, hello, hello. He remarks that no one's there when the bomb explodes. He walks out of the house unharmed and still humming zippity doo um, He then realizes he forgot to leave a business card, looks for one side of his coat, and as he leaves the house, lightning strikes a tree that Mr. Simon is now sitting in. Um, Mr. Lucky gets hit with the branch. The branch comes down crashing. Mr. Lucky gives Simon his business card, which reads, Lucky Life Insurance, accidents are our policy end scene end movie end clip end short that's a lot to unpack there and that's purposeful <laughs> and it happens quickly it yes. does it is and and you know i've seen it a number of times we were seeing it in person and it's 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 done well it has quick edits quick need for sound effects all right so we got four volunteers now setting up here and we've been told that there's over a hundred sound effects in the film alone you're going to have to reproduce a handful of us, the volunteers. So here's what we got. Um, Brian uh, and, and gentlemen, I gave you a shopping list, right, before uh, we recorded. I'm going to just go over the shopping list and make sure we have it here. Uh, Brian, you were supposed to bring tonight one stock of reeds, uh, a slide whistle, and two balloons. You got those? I brought marshmallows, graham crackers, and Hershey bars. Those will do fine. Uh, the, the, the snap of the Hershey bar might not be... But that's all right. It kind of makes a hissing sound when you break it. That's fine. Um, how you had a 55-gallon drawn a canvas sheet and three feet of 250-pound chain. Yes, yes. And that's now fine. I wrapped the chain around the drum. Yeah. And then I put it on sort of a spindle. So that way when I turn it, 
Is that kind of where you're going for? I, I, I think we're going to get there. Okay, yeah. good, All good. Right. Uh, and then JT, um, you were you had a 40-pound bag of pea gravel, one cubic yard of mulch, and a paper towel roll. You got those? I have the gravel, and I have a steak to punch, so it sounds like Indiana Jones. That's Excellent. Either that or celery. One will work. So, all right. Well, well, how you you are going to be station one with that that equipment? It's only part of it, but here's what you're going to be responsible for. And again, this is what the MC or the the host or cast member is telling. How in a very quick voice, you're going to be in charge with the rain of thunder, the crashing chandelier sliding, peephole, the crackling fire, doorknobs and doors closing, and the sliding library on doors. Now that's not all in one little place. They're going to make how run or jump or slide from technique to technique and what we have here is the rain and thunder is there's like a i think that was a rain stick thunder was a big metal sheet suspended the chandelier was it was literally like a, a wired chandelier in a box that they could uh hoist up and then when you pulled something out it would crash inside the box crackling fire you had the the jimmy mcdonald reeds um, doorknobs and doors closing were actually little doors and little, and then sliding library doors were little doors that you slide back and forth. How you got all that? Yeah, and it was, <laughs> and it was really cool because they actually had little mic, they had microphones yes. set up pointing towards all these things, so they they could actually record this live. They didn't do like do a canned version; like they actually recorded these sounds as yeah. the people were making them to play back. Exactly, exactly. All right. Um, Station four, I'm going to send that over to uh, uh, JT. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry, JT. You're, you're, you're station three. We're going to come back to two in a moment. Uh, you have to walk on four different services that include gravel, cement, marble, wood. And you are also responsible for additional sounds. Closing books, striking matches, bats flying, and when Mr. Lucky falls down. You got all that? Got it. Okay. So you've got to be quick. It's going to go fast. Now, what you're probably trying to figure out here, or coming to the conclusion, none of these effects were done in an order, and they were never... See? We got another effect in the background here tonight, too. That right on cue. I'm leaving it in. We're not going to edit the dog out. It's perfect. What's funny is that, as you're just saying, that the host would list these things like you're doing yeah. it, and it's some you know guy from Nebraska that's like, all right, I got it, I got it, wait. And then it just keeps going and goes, and then the host will go, all right, good, next. Then- exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was just purposefully quick, and... It wasn't like how could sit there and go, okay, doorknob, and then wait for the next. They purposely had it so that the four volunteers, their sound effects were always coming up at random times. That's the magic of this that worked really well. Um, so, Brian, I'm going to give you How's Creation in Station 4. Uh, you're going to create the wind, the rotating bookcase sound, squeaking gate, squeaking door, an umbrella in Simon's foot, the chiming clock, the taps on the dog's head, and the explosion. Got it? Sure, Todd. <laughs> He'll take care of it. And uh, I will walk up to station two. So we'll go back over to station two here. Um, this person controls an electronic console, and you think, oh, this is the easiest because all you got to do is press buttons, right? Barking dog, broken glass, foghorn, the goofy yell. And also, he had to voice all of Griman's, uh, Simon's groans grunts all different things i have to say that we're going to talk about it. i found one on youtube where the guy just ad-libbed and people were cracking up he's like oh, i gotta go over here i'm gonna do this <laughs> so when people got into it this could be really really fun right it, it could be really fun 
All right, and then what, what did they do? Sorry, what did no. they do if somebody just they volunteered and they like was anybody intentionally like ruining it? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, you go up there and you just like are like whatever. I just wonder if they had a backup plan. I I never saw it. I mean, maybe they would mute that track. I mean, I don't know. Dave Dave in the control booth could tell us what he might do, but uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, he's yeah. shaking his head now. He's not gonna divulge any of those secrets. <laughs> JT, sorry. Um. All right, and there's one more. We need one more station, which is the rest of the audience. And uh, a cue card is going to come up at some point, and uh, you guys all and, and we have to yell, "Look out!" All right, that is our job as the audience to do that. And I know we're, you know, we're also the the the, uh, uh, the volunteers tonight too. So, all right, so what do we do now? Four of us. We're all at our station. We saw the film once, as it was. Uh, with all the Hollywood sound effects added. Now the four of us, they're going to ask for complete silence, except for the cue card, in the in the theater. And they're going to play the film again. This time it's in complete silence. I, I, I recall that there were a few sound effects, a few mild ones, like um, Mr. Lucky's voice. Nobody had to do that. So you hear it. So there's a couple cues so that you get an idea of what's going on. Uh, and we have to run around now and try to hit all these buttons and make all these sounds at the right time. And this is where it really, this is what made it really fun because by picking, as Hal pointed out earlier, by just bringing these people up randomly without knowing what they were doing, throw them on stage, make them watch something they don't know what they remember, and then you tell them what they're going to have to do and then just throw it at them 35 seconds to a minute later, what what ensues is a hilarious film, as we're going to talk about in a second, that is all out of whack. So... They play the film with only a few sound effects like Mr. Lucky's voice and the recording starts. So Dave is going to now do his, his stuff in the studio. Uh, but gentlemen, we're getting towards the end of that film. We're working really hard on these. I'm holding up that cue, so- cue card. We need to yell. Look out. Look out. On, on my cue, oh, we miss oh, Brian. Right. One, two, three. Look out. Look out. out. <laughs> and, that's, and they would leave it if you screwed up like oh that. yeah they would complete like the first time i saw it the monster sound show was all over the place oh yeah the beginning so and, and sometimes when they record that there's like a little kid that's like three seconds later look out yes. and you know they left it in so it was all right so now we've got our take dave's gonna uh, set this all up for us we're gonna talk about you know why sound is so important in the motion picture industry and, and everything like that um and now they replay the film with all the sound effects that we have recorded uh, at the appropriate time. Dave is not fixing it. So if you pressed it three seconds early or two seconds late, that's the way that it was recorded. And what basically happens is that very rarely is there anything that is in sync. I think the only thing that probably is good is, is that was generally pretty good was the gentleman or, 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 or uh, was the person who was doing, Simon's voice because they could always kind of look up and just make funny noises. And, um, but what did you guys see when, when you were there? I I loved how the, 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 I recall is the host, he'd go around, you know, you you ever have to tell somebody to do something while you're taking an important phone call. That's kind of how he was acting. (laughs) Like he's pointing at people in a silent way and running around the room and like directing them, but he's not saying anything. Sometimes I think he'd be like the rain, the rain, do the rain. Like he would tell people what to do because they were missing out on stuff. Yeah. And sometimes people were so engrossed in doing one sound effect that they'd completely forget about the others. You know, I, I always thought the funniest thing is when um, the chandelier would drop 
and then that sound would come out like five seconds later. Always delayed. It was yeah. always delayed. <laughs> I mean, the whole attraction was set up so yes. that the the fan version, the, the participant version, would be slightly asunder. Yeah. Uh, and out of sync, and uh, that's where the hilarity ensues. I mean, if they nailed it, there would be nothing funny about it. Exactly. Right. And, and if this attraction lasted a few years longer, we would have whole groups of people going in there with the timing perfect, and they'd <laughs> make a perfect movie and ruin it for us. <laughs> Brian's shaking his head. He's just, oh, you know the spiel. All right, why don't you come up here and just do it? Um, and there was a reason for the audience participation and yelling. Look, Look out! out! Look out! Mr. Lucky looks at the camera, and um, he jumps out of the way. The branch falls behind him, and he looks and says, thank you. And he steps over the fallen tree branch. So by us participating, we save Mr. Lucky from getting crushed by that by that tree branch. And he does still give his business card to Simon. And I do not know if uh, he ever uh, got any insurance for that place, but <laughs> have to find out. So, and that was it. I mean, you you were out. Dave did a rap, and you know, thank you for visiting uh, the Monster, Monster Sound Show. Enjoy your day here at the Disney MGM Studios. You were up and out. And, in 15 minutes uh it took us nearly an hour to explain it <laughs> but that wasn't all that was there for right we had we had more to do because before the advent of gift shops at the exit um we had other things other exciting things to do so uh as you came out of the theater uh you were shuffled into uh the soundworks post show and you had a couple different things here and i tried to find photos and and um videos of people doing these things and i, I vaguely remember there's not much of soundworks at all so i'm going to go through them here we're going to talk about sensations last because i know how is itching i'm going to let him explain that one so a question do you yeah. think it sound works like because of image works is that a you know i i was thinking the same thing it, it definitely it works no pun intended <laughs> So, um, all right. So we had two, uh, two, a couple different stations here. We had uh, Eerie Encounters, and you would try to reproduce the flying saucer effect from the film uh, Forbidden Planet. I don't know if this was one of those. Yeah, it was. Know, it what? was a. Th- it was a theremin. Oh, they had a bas- theremin. Basically, going. yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. That that was it. So yeah. you had so your hand was... over the different thing and, and right. play so... a clip for like. 20 seconds or something so there was a style of theremin that appeared and i remember the orlando science center had one too oh no i'm sorry take it back it wasn't the orlando science center oh no it was i'm sorry i was thinking it was maybe mystery mystery fun no it was mystery fun house it wasn't or there might have been one at the <laughs> orlando TV science center fun house fun house <laughs> instead of the um two antennas like um, like the round one on one side and then a, a tall pole antenna, there was usually like two pieces of metal on the front of a, of a, like a, you know, plywood front. And then as you put your hands up closer to those two pieces of metal, um, flat pieces like a triangle. And one was usually like a triangle and the other was a circle. So you could kind of visually differentiate them. You'd get the <laughs> sound. Uh, so uh, if you've never had the pleasure of playing a theremin, um, one side controls the pitch so as you get closer to it the sound goes higher it uh, typically plays just a pure sine wave uh, and the other side um, controls the volume uh, so it uh, makes very nice squeaky squonky sounds so that was why i don't remember 
don't recall trying that one, but I do remember the next two. Um, movie mimics. You could try to dub the voice of Roger Rabbit into a clip. Benny, you go for the cops. I'm going to save my wife. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. So these were, again, big televisions. They were embedded into a console. You would sit down or stand there and you were supposed stand, to. Stand, yep. Yeah, they were probably laser discs and um, they would, you know, they would do the recording and play it back. Very complicated for, for the time. So it was actually kind of remarkable. If you think about yeah. the fact that they had a digital recording system that could capture what you were doing, synchronize yeah. it and play it back again. The second I was, that would exactly. have been a sophisticated thing for that time. And the idea was that you were supposed to do it once and move on. I think what also happened in Soundworks, a lot of these kiosks, we get overloaded with people. I'm going to do it again, daddy. I'm going to do it again. You know, you could, you know, so you had to wait until the show kind of, cleared out a little bit but with every 15 minutes you just had another dump of people coming in right sometimes a little hard to get your to get into that so they i forget what scene it was in roger rabbit i almost want to say it was with benny the cab but i I could be wrong um there was touch tunes uh where you could try to imitate the gallop of the headless horseman's horse in ichabod crane's uh, scene from legend of sleepy hollow and i think they had tied to cables there were these plastic cups and you would and, and yeah. record it right isn't that what it was kind of like the coconut thing i think what ridden on a horse yes you're using coconuts what you've got two empty halves of coconut and you're banging them together so realistically yeah that's what it was so you, they were tied yeah. to cables and there was a, i think sort of like a flat metal piece or something and yeah. you would do the and J- jimmy mcdonald that. told us the right way to do it Oh, have these are half coconuts for horses? You think horses are easy to do? Uh, well. When they walk, it's left, right, right, left. And so they walk like this. Then they, uh, when they go into a, into a lope, they go both right, left. And that gets you mixed up. And when they walk, they do this. And then they get into a gallop. A lot of them make three-legged horses. And I make four legs. So how I'm going to let you talk about sensations next, because it was really, really cool. You understand the best you recorded it. We're going to play a little bit here. Uh, Cause I do, I feel like a little, my hairs, I need my ears lowered. So why don't you tell a little <laughs> bit of that? And then we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Sure. So, so sound stations was a, I'll, I'll describe the experience first. So there were, uh, I think six or eight doors, uh, along the along the wall of the interior of the um of the post show area they had sort of a sort of like a circle kind of like a porthole window so you could kind of peer in uh and then there were um there was like a double light thing where the green light on the top and a red light on the bottom and if the green light was on then the room was occupied if the red light i'm sorry if the red light was on then the room was occupied if the green light was on then it was not occupied so basically red now would mean that there's covid inside and green yes okay yeah (laughs) so um if you've ever, uh, you know, been at a school, um, a lot of times they have sort of like soundproof uh, air rooms that you can go into with sort of big heavy doors. And so that's what this was. These were little soundproof rooms. So the sound from the outside couldn't penetrate it. And then also if there were sounds on the inside, um, they wouldn't come out. So you'd open the door and there was kind of like a, a bench couch seat inside with, I think, four sets of headphones. Uh, so you'd end up big button that you'd push on the opposite opposite side of the little booth to like get things started. So you'd go settle down into your, into your booth 
put on these headphones, uh, push the button, and the lights would kind of dim. And then you would start to hear uh, a lady talk to you. How all of this worked is, um, I think it was AKG was the first company to come up with this. Um, They developed um, the first, well, I don't know if it's the first, but they developed really nice binaural microphones. So binaural meaning... Um, two microphones, so that way it's it's trying to record the same way that your ears hear. And they actually constructed, you know, this plastic head. And uh, the plastic head actually had, like, realistic ears on it. And it, supposedly, you know, they created, like, the same kind of channels that are inside of your head that the sound has to travel in order to get into your eardrum. And then they put, you know, tiny little microphones where your eardrums would be. And the upshot of all this is that, um, you know, they could set up this head uh, and make audio recordings and it would be just like somebody was in the room talking to you because the sound would be reaching your ear, uh, the two different ears uh, at the different times, just like if someone was talking to you. So if somebody is standing over to your right hand side, you know, the sound first reaches your right ear and registers, and then the sound milliseconds later reaches your left ear. But that gives your brain enough information to know that the person is standing over on the right hand side. And it's it's not only if we think about sound waves as water waves for a moment, right? It's not only the time it takes; it's how that wave changes when it gets to the other the, your ear on the other side. It has That's to go true. around your head. The wave changes and forms and comes back around your head. So the sound while minutely distorted that plus the delay gives us what we know as I, I, you could call it human you know a uh, hearing but that's the three-dimensional sound that we we hear as humans right and just and so just what's so the, amazing to think that somebody like this is so simple it's, it's like 3d for for audio that's what it yeah. is <laughs> and um I, I think the original ticket price on this microphone was about 20 grand <sighs> Um, I went, I went back and did some research at the time, but I, I was personally fascinated by, uh, this process and how this worked. And so I put together my own budget version using a, um, styrofoam head, uh, that I bought at a secondhand store and two, um, slim microphones from Radio Shack that I could carve out a way for them, like I basically carve out a rectangle on the side of the head and then slip these microphones in. And then Did I you put like Halloween in. ears on them by any chance? No, like no. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't bother to replicate that because what I found in my tests mm-hmm. is at least if you were recording fairly close up, you didn't really need the okay. ear things. It it worked well enough that I was able to replicate a lot of the, the close up effects of the sure. show on my own. Um, and, and the thing that was sort of interesting about it, uh, and, and I think this is the reason why you, you did a lot of these effects, the close-up effects in the show, is the close-up stuff worked much, much better uh, than far away. Right, so, right. you know, if somebody was standing like six feet in front of you, it's like you didn't get as much of that feeling of dimensionality as if somebody was, you know, standing right behind you and whispering in your ear or, or, you know, doing some scissors. But if you did that, I mean, it absolutely sounded exactly like doing that show. <laughs> well, why don't um, we, um, do you want to do that trim now? Should we get that haircut? Yeah, let's, let's do that. All right, let's get a little haircut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
his office, Hampton speaking. Yes? Uh, that would be my guest. Suddenly, a nomad's arrow flies through the air and whizzes by your turban. Oh, wait a minute. You don't have a turban. Uh, here, this will have to do. A newspaper. Hiya, Hampton. Hi, RJ. Nice to see you, Mickey. Boy, you've really earned your ears. <laughs> Gosh, they look swell. Well, I, I gotta go. Lots of things to do, you know. Well, I'd say you're definitely part of the family now, RJ. I, you know, I remember standing there and, and, you know, the reason how you're talking about with the booth is because you couldn't replicate this in a theater because there's too much ambient noise. There's too much way for that audio to bounce around. So going into this deadened room. Were they speakers in that room? No, there were headphones. You would there's you, headphones. Yeah, you put headphones on. But that was the only way to do it, right? You had to be in this deadened room, have your headphones on and, and direct it in. Is there any way... I don't think there is any way to really ever do it in a room or maybe you could do it in a small room, but again, there's just too much audio bounce. You know, it's like I said, like waves in a pool. You, you need that because you recorded it in the eardrum. That's where you need it. Yeah. Pinpointed. I mean, I, ironically, they did end up using this system, you know, not only an alien encounter, but also briefly mm-hmm. when they redid uh, great moments with Mr. Lincoln uh-huh. in Disneyland and they actually did the haircutting gag. Did they really? Yeah. Like Lincoln gives you a haircut. Yeah. Where, where yeah. did where, <laughs> where did they do the speakers for that? Did they embed them in like the back of the seat? They, they gave you headphones. I think. They, oh, you did. Have I headphones. don't remember if they, I assume they were wireless. I never got to experience that that version yeah. of the show myself. But yeah, they tried. I think the idea was they wanted to make you feel like you were a young soldier that was going to go off to fight in the war, and so you were. Eventually, you were watching Lincoln Lincoln give the Gettysburg speech. What? So I, there is I think a really enhance the uh, American adventure here. We could be riveting. We could be a Civil yeah. War soldier, right? Yeah. And let's not forget, you need a haircut before you go out. That's there. right. Yeah. Well, that is the best part. That is the best part. So, well, the, I, I always find these these these. You put these headphones on, and I mean, you might be able to create this, and you guys might tell me why this is. I always feel like my ears are tickling. Like when it's like these weird sounds that move around your head, like it's it does hmm. something weird to my ears, and I don't understand why. It's like stereo, especially the binaural stuff. It's weird. It does odd things when it moves around, like you don't expect it to. I, I also find that those types of, like this one, it sounds sensations. I find that the treble, you know, the high end frequencies are really cranked up to give it a little more of that crispness, and maybe that's what you're hearing, JT. And there's also a lot of those high ends that might be inaudible to you but are actually resonating in your in your you know in, mm-hmm. in your eardrum that that you can't hear giving you that tickling effect and also the, the jt pr- I, if you get a haircut again it does tickle a little bit in the back of your neck okay <laughs> the the soundproof rooms always interesting me too we we did a tour one year in high school of uh, audio technica the microphone people and they took us into a room that was a a high end like i mean it had all the triangles on the wall and all the sound deadening and you go inside and these these sound booths were a, a, a minor version of that. It's just dead. Yeah. The sound doesn't travel. There's just nothing. It's so weird. Like, that's another trick on your ears. Like, you're just like, wait, why is it so quiet? And I say something, and it doesn't go anywhere. I Do think you... after this recording, though, the uh, Lake Buena Vista Historical Society might send you a lot of those egg cartons. We can, we can put them up all in our offices here, and I won't be able to hear the dog, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> do you remember in the first version of Test Track, JT, when you would walk into the sound deadened Yes, room? that oh, did yeah. have that. Yeah, in the queue, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was spooky. It really worked well. Yeah. Because you you're used to the queue noise and all the sounds and all the crash tests, and then it's just like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in places, too, where the, the room isn't deadened, but if you go close enough to a wall... It's absor- it's an absorbent wall, and there's nothing in your right ear, but your left is hearing. So there's some places like that. So but. this could really work. I feel like somewhere in Epcot nowadays, if you're looking at like a, a wing of Image Works or something like that, it's it's such a neat. I don't know. It's neat to me. It's a neat concept. Except the whole nobody's going to want to pick up headphones and put them on. After no, <laughs> no. But I mean, like, send me into a big, massive room yeah. with no sound. I don't well, know. Every, something cool. Well, everybody's got their own, you know, phone now. That's right. With, uh, you know, I guess if you bring your earbuds with you or your Beats or whatever, then maybe can you imagine that before that. the before the show starts, we want everybody to sync their Bluetooth to this code. Everybody pair. <laughs> oh wait, hold on, back in the we don't have a blue light on all the chairs yet. <laughs> there oh. was a, another place that did use the setup cut though, which was at um at a uh, the Life and Health Pavilion. There was another binaural audio station. And uh, it would play sounds, and you had to guess what the sound was. Oh. So there was this thing that okay. sounded like rain, but it was really bacon sizzling. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to our little game of hearing that we call Audio Antics. I'm going to create some environments using sounds that happen all around you. Only I'm going to include some familiar sounds you may think belong in each scene, but really don't. Using only your sense of hearing, let's just see, (laughs) I mean here, if you can guess what's wrong with each picture. And thunder. And of course, frying bacon. Ow! Hot! Now that you have the idea, let's try another one. Okay, time for one last audio antic. This one's named, I Saw It in the Jungle. I call this one, I Saw It in the Jungle, because the sound of that bird is done with a saw. sure was fun playing audio antics with you. But before you go, I'd like to give you a nice round of applause. No, no, not River Records. I said applause. Bravo. Thanks for stopping by. Drop in again sometime and we'll see what you can hear. Yeah, if you if you ever see pictures of the, these things that look like giant headphones, yeah, in oh, yeah, that, of that life, was, you would stand that between yeah, them, big, right? It's huge, and we're not going to get into it now today. But that uh, the next version of the show, Drew Carey, it it was all based on this. You uh, had the headphones it wasn't the on. The next them. version, JT. What? No. So that was a great segue. The Monster, Monster Sound Show. No, actually changed formats on July first, nineteen ninety seven, became the ABC Sound Studio. And it featured Disney's one Saturday morning lineup. So instead of four guests, seven guests were chosen to create sound effects for 101 Dalmatians, the series. Uh, I I watched a little, some clips on that. I never saw it in person. And 
this was the first time that they allowed children to go up because before it was always adults. Maybe you might get a late teen up there uh, with with uh, the Monster Sound Show. Um, it was interesting. Not only did they add children there, uh, I find this interesting, gentlemen, is that the live action film, as we said, it was replaced by uh, 101 Dalmatians, the series. It was only a 45 second cartoon clip. Oh, my gosh. Right. So think about the turnover, man. You're just like moving these people through. Or maybe they, you know, with seven people up there, maybe they did two or three different clips. But it was no longer this 15 to 20 minute show. It did uh, that closed um, two years later on February 22nd. I'm sorry. It's February 20th, 1999. And uh, it changed to Sound Dangerous starring Drew Carey at that point, And that ran from April 22nd, 1999 to May 18th, 2012. So that, I, I didn't realize that ran for 13 years. And JT is going to write us an episode on, on Sounds Dangerous, too. Um, and now, Tom, I, I, There was one other thing in Soundworks that I... Uh, oh. Two, two other brief things that I want to mention in Soundworks because it ties back to Jeremy McDonald. Yeah. Um, there was uh, another station that had a, just a, like four or five gizmos um, that were used to make the sound of Mickey's car. And so you'd watch the video and it, it wasn't a thing where it played back. They just kind of played the video over and over again. And you could, you know, do these little doodads and make the noise of like Mickey's jitney. But um, for the historians... Uh, on um, sort of like a high shelf running around the room were a bunch of Jimmy McDonald's original sound effects machines that were no longer oh, used. Cool. They were just kind of repainted, you know, in pastel colors to look nice and match that. But there was a bunch of, of his historical devices that he made kind of ringing the room that you could look up and see. And I can't remember if they had little plaques on them that told you what they were. Um if nothing else, they were just really cool decorations. And and I think the story was that the Imagineers who were working on it, you know, went back and to the storage closets where they kept all this stuff. And they let him pick out some things to use. Because gotcha. at that point, nobody was making their sound effects right. that way anymore. You'd record it one time. You're done. Digitally. And then you just, you know. Play and you can manipulate it too. You could slow it down. You could right. move it up. I have I have a few here in Burn Bombs. What was on there? Uh Tinkerbell's Chimes. Okay. Oh. A door used in Alice in Wonderland. The coconut shells used to produce the hoof beats in uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Cool. That's awesome. Nice. They said was there. Well, gentlemen, I thank you for coming with me on this journey back to the Monster Monster Sound Sound Show. I think what's really interesting is that, and this is how I viewed it as a you know a young young lad of fifteen years old going through the first time, I came away from the disney mgm studios going wow they showed me the way that movies were made they showed me how television was made they showed me how the audio went into those productions i got to see how animation was made and then by golly i got to see somebody punch the lights out of indiana jones or at least attempt to right i saw the stunts (laughs) when you put it in the context of all those things this is pre-star tours this is you know pre any honey i shrunk it really was a complete package, and this just helped round it out. And again, going back to what we said earlier, we take a lot of this stuff for granted today because it is in the power of our hands every single day to do these things. Other than punch Indiana uh, Jones, that's a that's a be- tough. Be- that's a tough. Before one. we wrap it up, things that were in Disney MGM Studios, and then things that would open a year later in Universal Studios Florida. This this was an attraction that had yeah. a. What do we want to call it? A sister or a competitor? 
at Universal Studios in Florida. I know. I assume yes. in Hollywood as well. Isn't that right? Didn't they have like a monster stage sound? Uh, thing? Yes. Because I, I don't remember if one of us was asking or if it was a listener who asked, what was the genesis of the monster, monster sound show? Like so many things, I looked at Universal Studios Hollywood because it seems like an awful lot of the things that happened at Disney MGM were also part of that. And, you know, and if, if you know a little bit about the Disney MGM history, supposedly, you know, Eisner had, had a full pitch when he was with Paramount of like what was going to be at the studio that Universal was going to build on their tour. And he supposedly stole a lot of that, but it's, you know, never proven. Um, there was a backstage production tour at Universal Studios Hollywood. Sound effects, uh, it was part of a special effects tour that um, went over a lot of uh, like stop motion and things like that, which had not been refreshed for quite some time. Um, I, I believe there was a little bit of a sound effects part attached to it, but it wasn't like a standalone attraction. Now, what they did have was a monster makeup show. And so I wonder if mm. uh, the reason that it became the Monster Sound Show, because originally in, in the pitch film that we saw at the Magic Kingdom, okay. it was called the Disney Sound Experience. But supposedly Eisner was the one that changed the name to the Monster Sound Show. Now, since it has monsters in it, that's also kind of an, an obvious tie-in. So I don't know if I'm going to give him like humongous credit for that. But it could have been a way to get a little bit of that monster feel into the park that Universal had. Or it might have just been like a big middle finger to them since they were known for having monsters. And this was a way for, for Disney to steal a little bit of their thunder before they got the Florida park open. Um, interesting enough, perhaps maybe because of the success of this, Universal Studios um, Hollywood in 1991 redid that backstage tour and actually did open up a full um a standalone sound show uh themed around harry and the hendersons and then hmm. uh at universal studios in florida there was a murder she wrote post-production tour kind of well not a tour a post-production show and part of that was foley very much like this one where they had volunteers out of the audience and they had him do foley for an episode of murder she wrote so because the um, the, uh, the one at Florida, the Alfred Hitchcock, Art of Making Movies, was really more about moving the camera. It wasn't audio, right? Or did that, that have... was blue screen and stuff, because I, I was hanging from some building on a blue screen there. I remember that. Yeah, I think you were hanging off the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Is that yeah. The, they did Statue of Liberty? I thought it was Psycho. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I had no, to that was in a gift shop. And... You could well, that's a whole that. that's a whole yeah. other kind of episode, Todd. But yes, a, there was there it's was a completely a psycho... different historical society. Too. Yeah, there's <laughs> there the uh, the show that the show there briefly sort of uh, they showed some 3D um, footage that was shot for Dial M for Murder, right? Be because that was shot in 3D but wasn't released in 3D. But they had the footage, so they were able to show it to you in 3D. And then they had sort of like the birds come through mm -hmm. this uh like uh through the curtains to scare you then they yeah, showed that, you how they I shot the that. shower scene in psycho that. Right, and they right. had the bathtub that came out yeah. right and then in the post show for that show they had a bunch of different setups for some of the special effects things so they showed you in model form like how they shot the um the effect in vertigo where the perspective changes they had the blue screen that um 
that JT was on with the person hanging off the Statue of Liberty. I remember they had this kind of very extensive set for Rear Window where they had like little televisions in the buildings so you could see the people inside of the buildings uh, walking around and you were sort of like from the perspective of Jimmy Stewart. Uh, and, and so there were little stations like this, which was also in a gift shop uh, there that would show you some interesting things about how they shot the, the Alfred Hitchcock effects. As I, as I said, gentlemen, it was, like I said, for me, it was the, the you know, it was, it really brought together all of Disney MGM studios of what it was in its original incarnation uh, and, and really wrapped up the whole thing. And and people can say, well, what was great movie ride? Great movie ride was the celebration of the movies, right? That's what that was. It was, that was it your was history exciting. lesson. That was your history lesson. That was lesson. your only ride you in the park, the really. You had to right. ride the movies. That's right. There's a whole That's bunch right. of movies you've never seen, except exactly. for maybe the ones at the very end. <laughs> Here's looking <laughs> right. at you, kid. Because, yeah, because, you know, me going in, I never saw Tarzan, but my grandfather came out saying, those were all about the good movies. None of that jumping up and down and hollering. Those were the good movies. No, but it was That's, the golden age of Hollywood. I mean, it they was. Were, they were, That's and they, they narrated produced. it for you, and they took you through each genre, and every single, every single tour leader's favorite genre was uh, horror movies, right? Except with Indiana <laughs> Jones was favorite. the only oddball in that one, right? Right? When you think about it, which one? Raiders? You didn't and like that? No, one? no, it was a great movie, but it didn't match the time frame you are of correct. all the others. You rolled into that oh, scene yeah. like, "What are we doing it was, here?" It was right. You had westerns. You had you had all the. You know the the shoot uh, what are you, the gangsters and you had John Wayne and and the the Footlight Parade and it's all twenties so thirties and forties right it wasn't you like know. an adventure movie genre at that point but they didn't really I don't Tarzan know. was it went from Tarzan yeah. right into that yeah and we had to get to the the gem on the top right, right. To touch it <laughs> yeah. so that was the same hey we way. got IP Let's we're gonna use it man that's throw it. we're putting in. this in we're putting this I, in. you know what oh Sala come on we'll have, to, we'll have to do an episode on this someday because I, I one of the original plans was to have Ghostbusters in there and that would have been awesome oh man instead we got that weird show with behind the glass yes at Universal that's uh-huh. another yeah, didn't show. Ghostbusters end up at Universal they did. yeah they, they did, did. Yeah. I saw the show it was it, it didn't uh, I was going to say Ron Ron Schneider, but it's the Blues Brothers show he did. I I don't know. Did he have something to do with the Ghostbusters show yeah. too? Oh no, he, not the. I, I know he wrote remember. the Blues Brothers show. Oh yeah. yeah, Ghostbusters was like on the the rooftop with Gozer and uh, yeah, the but they had a piece of glass or a scrim in front of you so they could do the projections. It was it was interesting. Oh, yeah, it was all oh, Big okay. Pepper's Ghost Show. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Back to the monster, monster sound, sound show. Wrapping up, we've, we've <laughs> gone the third full time. For the third time, we're going to say goodnight to them. Now, uh, thank you for coming aboard with us, gentlemen, on this. Um, uh, you know, I finally remember it. I, I, I think all, all of us got to listen to it, right? All of us went. Yes. Oh yeah. All right. Excellent. So uh, Brian's nodding. So um, yeah, but um, so if you have any memories of Monster Sound Show, and if you have any pictures of the post show or the pre show or actually in the show. There is so little. There's like maybe one major uh, standout phot- photograph, stock photography that's used over and over with them holding up the lookout sign, and um, you know uh, that will that uh, that's that's all that's out there. So if you got anything, please send it our way to podcast at retrowdw.com. All right, gentlemen. Well, before we wrap it up, um, how um, maybe we could get a shirt that just says "Look Out." Actually. <laughs> How easy so, is that? I was going to do the lucky life insurance. Thing. I was going uh, to. That would be perfect that would too. Be better, yeah. That would be better. That would yeah. be lucky. Lucky. Let's get lucky life Maybe insurance. Maybe Chevy Chase will buy one. 
Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that'll, exactly. so that'll be in the store. And actually, while, while no one was looking, I snuck in a couple of designs last night. Oh, based wait a minute. Now our, I got to go to our own store? I didn't even know. Yeah. So yeah. based on our, okay. our Pleasure Island, our last Pleasure Island episode, I have a super, um, a super, wait, what is it? No, super conscientious, friendly Disney yes. World employee. A super conscientious, friendly Disney World employee t-shirt. So all you cast members... Feel free to buy one of those for yourselves, or if you're just a fan, that's fine too. Welcome, a dismal world. What is? Oh that? yes, yes. So the from the um, from the Forbidden Disney show, the the sign that falls out of place. <sighs> so instead of saying "Welcome to Walt Disney Disney World," it says "Welcome to Walt Dismal World." <laughs> um, that that one is up there too. And I'm, I'm going to sneak out a few more like Adventures Club. Uh, Comedy Warehouse references. Too. I love it. I so love I'm going to throw out a challenge to the fans here. Although Hal may know this answer off the top of his head, I don't know that there's a a, a correct or incorrect answer here. Uh, Martin Short in Monster Sound Show also uh, did the what third version of the Canada Circle Vision film. So is there another example of a? I don't mean like a standard Disney celebrity who's in 50 things. Is there another example of a Hollywood type who was in more than one attraction? And I don't mean like a clip from a movie. I mean like actually doing scripted stuff in two different attractions. I'd really be interested. Wasn't he in three attractions? What's the third one? Wait, help me. Wasn't he in the making of me? Yes, yes, he was. Yes, his voice. Yeah, he was. That's right. He voiced that. You see his parents get busy and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> make him that little sperm thing that's the sperm is, and the egg that that's mean, martin short right I have, there i at the yeah i have the uh i have the slide of that that high-res image of that particular scene <laughs> that's martin short right there that's a picture of him uh, so, so that's really fascinating like it just occurred to me as i was sitting here thinking about you know wrapping up martin short i'm like oh that's interesting he was in two of them and now three that's so there's the challenge. Is there anybody who's been in two or three? Like, I, I feel like Phil Hartman was maybe in more than one. Uh, he was definitely in uh, yeah. uh, um, um, the uh, the Wonders of Life. What? Right? Wasn't he in? Um, oh, uh, he no. Well, he was in. Uh, he was not in um, Cranium Command, which is no. what I think you're thinking of. He was in the Enchanted Tiki Room under new management right, right. in the pre-show. And then he was also in Alien Encounter in the first version okay. where where he was the host robot uh, in the um, in the pre-show room. So he's an easy pick. Okay. So, yep. So there's two. There's two. Um, now, there's quite a few celebrities in uh, Cranium Command. Like you've got uh, Dana Carvey and George Wendt. Uh, George Wendt. Dana Carvey and who's the other? Oh, who's right. Hans and Hans Franz? And Franz. Phil Har- oh, yeah. Not Phil Hartman. Um, Kevin yeah. Nealon. Yeah. Kevin Nealon. And that was uh, like Bob, that's, that. That one is SNL overload. That Bobcat yeah. Goldthwait. Um, Charles Grodin. Yeah. I don't. Uh, think Charles Grodin was in the Muppet special, but I don't think he was in another attraction. Right. No. Huh. So there, there it is out there, folks. Send them in. That's right. You know, we're interested in. You'll remember some of the ones we don't. I'm sure. Uh, but that's interesting that, you know, Martin Short's like a gum on your shoe when it comes yeah. to attractions, right? <laughs> like it's He's like Walt Disney World's George Rasenberger, where he's that's right. he has an just appearance like, in every park everything. just to like keep it legitimate. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, how we move from T-shirts to that. But anyway, wow, we're, we're quick. We're fast moving. It's a fast pace. But uh, 
With that said, um, Brian, I'm going to turn this over to you. Let's uh, give our, our listeners a little update on Retro Magic. Plans are coming along, but just as a friendly reminder, and we will be announcing things in the upcoming months, but uh, just give them a quick reminder of when and what where they can go and to learn to sign up for more information. All right. Well, you can go to our... Uh, you can go to retromagic.org, right? That's right. Yeah. Yep. You can go to retromagic.org and it'll take you right to the splash page. Nothing's for sale yet and probably won't be until uh, mid to late autumn, I think. is We're going to do a, a live rollout one night. Uh, probably, well, we have a couple things in the, in, in the works. So let me yeah. preface it by saying we have before i tell you about retro magic we have a live um presentation we are doing with the orlando public library right that's right and that is saturday october 15th i think is that the date i'm pretty sure that's the date saturday october 15th and it's going to be at 11 o'clock in the morning actually 16th 16th yeah yeah saturday october 16th and uh, it'll be 11 o'clock in the morning, and we'll be sharing more details. Uh, the libraries actually will probably have posted it by the time uh, that this uh, that this episode is released. But uh, we'll be doing a, a presentation, sharing some of our audiovisual stuff in celebration of Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary in October. Oh, is it? Is are they having their 50th anniversary this year? They are. So <laughs> I that, wouldn't so, have known. So I don't we, think I've heard anything about this. Yeah, so we had the opportunity to uh, participate with um, with uh, the Orlando Public Library. We're looking forward to that. And then, yes, we are hosting our own celebration the weekend of April 22nd through 24th in 2022, which is closer than you think, folks. Uh, and when we're about six months out, uh, we're going to do a live event uh, on, you know, YouTube streaming like we do our movie nights, uh, possibly during the day. Uh, but we'll be doing a live rollout of our roster. And I have to tell you, we have some exciting guests lined up. We're still oh, working yeah. on it. We're still pulling everything together. Uh, but we have, I think we're going to top the last event. For sure. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to it. And we're we're, we're we're looking to bring people who've who've never been to Florida events before, yep. uh, who who've who, who've got connections to some of the most um, iconic pieces of of the parks and and the history of the parks, uh, and I'm just really excited about it. We're hitting a lot of different areas with the with the guests we've got lined up, and so much. I think we're so much stuff that hasn't been talked about yet that is going to be talked about and bought forth which is which is great really yeah. looking forward to it um i also want to give a shout out brian and, and everybody to uh everyone who uh donated in our fundraiser drive uh with the halloween um carousel of pumpkin ornament those are now in production and they will be delivered to our door sometime in the early october time frame and then we'll certainly get them out to you uh immediately thereafter so thanks to everyone to uh who donated and uh, your gifts will be en route to you soon for the uh halloween season um with that said we we will be working on a holiday ornament as we always do and uh that is gentlemen you saw it the other day we're very close to getting all the artwork done the samples uh, are in progress we just got to do some painting and some tweaks and it's looking pretty good if if you don't if, I do say so myself. It certainly is. Yeah, that's gonna. It might even top last year's in a way. I don't know. It's 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 a it's a tough one. 
I think it might. Yep, it might. It might. So stay tuned for more information on that in the upcoming month or so. Uh, With that, next month, um, guys, we did not plan it this way until we realized that we could do it. Next month's podcast will be coming out in October, and it is officially, for us, episode 71. How cool is that? Our 71st main episode. That's a milestone to us. I I can't remember all the little half episodes and things we've done, but 71, and we will release it. Hopefully, if we can pull this off, we'll release it right on October 1. Or better yet, maybe, Brian, let's release it October 25th, the real opening day, right? What was it, 23rd? Conclusion of the opening ceremonies weekend, yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll hold off and let... There's too much going on around October 1. Roy and Edna Disney and Lillian Disney and... Who else but was we, there? Glenn Campbell. He strolled right out from those trees. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so we're going to do a podcast um, around the 50th. We're not going to be sitting here, like, you know, reviewing things and, and uh, picking any specific topic. It's kind of going to be a 50th potpourri, if you will. And uh, Brian's got some ideas, so we're working on bringing that to you. So uh, it's a little change of pace for what we do, but I think it's well warranted for the 50th anniversary. and uh, actually gives us a little... Breather room here to not do research and, and kind of uh, uh, take a little break from researching and producing episodes. So it'll still be a great one. We're looking forward to bringing it to you. Uh, and after that, I, th- I think we have a couple ideas on deck. Um, how you've got to go back to Alien Encounter Part 2. Um, I know we've talked about image works. That might be one that I'm going to start writing to for later in the year. Um, my goodness, we've got a lot of places to go yet. We've got wonders of life we got to do. we got to do body wars we've got to do uh journey into imagination um just there's just so much still yeah 71 episodes and we haven't covered all the closed stuff you know (laughs) well they've closed a lot of stuff over the years so that's right and and for those who are crying when things close just remember when things close it's more episodes for the people who replace us 25 years from now to talk about so remember that's right we may not be here I hope I'm not doing this in 25 years, but I'll come, as, I'll, come, I'll come as a guest. Our clones, yes. Our clones. He'll come as a guest. I'll come on as a guest. <laughs> we wheel him out once a year. Here <laughs> he is. Right. Here he is coming in. <laughs> uh, well, with that, thank you, everybody, to listening, especially listening to this month since we're in stereo. Uh, a big thank you to Hal on the left-hand side. Hey, over here. JT on the right. Hello. Brian, we've shifted over to the left. Oh, hello over there. And a big thanks from me over back here on the right. So we hope you enjoyed this stereo episode of the Retro Disney World podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. We'll be back next month with our special 50th anniversary episode of Walt Disney World. If uh, Until then, if you can, give us a shout-out, review iTunes, or whatever your favorite podcasting app is. And, uh, again, thank you to all of our supporters. If you'd like to support to the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, you can do so at lbvhhistory.org forward slash donate. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next month. And with that, Brian, take us out. Monster Sound Show. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at retrowdw.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at retrowdw. And follow our hosts, Todd McCartney, on Twitter at WDWMS. 
Hal Bowers on Twitter and Instagram at GoAwayGreen. JT Couser on Twitter at LS1JT and on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax exempt 501c3 organization, and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities. Look, Look out! out. Look out.